Hello, this is Tommy Franks. Welcome to the Four Star Leadership Podcast, a product of the General Tommy Franks Leadership Institute and Museum. We're here to get a view into the lives of the legacy makers, the movers and the shakers of today, to offer insights from the full spectrum of the leadership community. We'll talk to former four-star students and explore their leadership development path. We'll work to find out what they are about today and learn from the opportunities they've made for themselves in this world. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome you to this podcast. Remember, leaders are not born, they're developed. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Core Principles of Leadership with General Tommy Franks. I'm your host, Jay Zacharias, and we have a great episode for you today with Harry Rhodes, the co-founder of the Washington Speakers Bureau. Today, we will be talking about what Harry calls always trying to make a difference, a life well-lived. But before we get into that, we'll get a quick word from our main sponsor of the podcast, REI Oklahoma. REI Oklahoma is proud to be a part of the General Tommy Franks Leadership Institute and the production and distribution of these podcasts designed to inspire leaders and difference makers. At REI Oklahoma, we have been working with small business leaders, entrepreneurs, and people who are driven to succeed for years. Highly motivated people working to own their own businesses, live in their own homes, and make the world a better place. Since its beginning, REI Oklahoma has continued to identify hurdles and deliver holistic solutions to create job growth and help neighborhoods thrive in both rural and urban communities. REI Oklahoma looks forward to visiting with you about helping your business and community grow. Visit reiok.org or call 800-658-2823 to start the conversation. And now on to our guest of the hour, Harry Rhodes Jr. He is the co-founder and co-chief executive officer of the Washington Speakers Bureau. Originally founded in 1980, the Washington Speakers Bureau has exclusively represented many of the world's most prominent figures, including Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, Tony Blair, Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, Alan Greenspan, and Ben Bernanke. Jim Valvano was one of Rhodes' first clients. A four-time cancer survivor, Rhodes has served on the board for the V Foundation for Cancer Research since its inception. Currently, he is chairman of the Nominating and Corporate Governance Committee. Born in Washington, D.C., Rhodes is a graduate of DePaul University. In his spare time, he can be found on the golf course or reading the latest book by one of his Washington Speakers Bureau authors. He is a proud father of two daughters, Mary Catherine and Emily Ann. We are proud to welcome Harry to the show. How are you, Harry? doing great today. Thank you very much, Jace. Absolutely. We're really blessed to have you on. I think you've got a lot of great stories to tell our listeners and and give them a little insight to who you are as a person and what you've been through and kind of how they might be able to take the stories you tell and and apply it to their lives and see if your experiences can help others. Um, The first question I want to ask you is to tell us a little bit about your background, uh, your upbringing. I understand your father had a very interesting background starting at the U.S. Naval Academy. Jace, thanks very much for including me uh, in your podcast. Uh, I have enormous respect for General Franks. I think he's one of the finest people I've ever worked with, and I'm delighted uh, to have this opportunity. Uh, I grew up in Fairfax, Virginia, uh, right outside of Washington, D.C., but it really starts with my father. 
my father was in the class of 46 at the United States Naval Academy, but he graduated in the accelerated class of 1945. Mm-hmm. And he went into the submarine service after graduation. And something amazing happened to him. In November of 1946, he was on the USS Sablefish that uh, off the coast of Greenland. Now it's mm-hmm. November, so you can imagine how cold the water is. Boy. And, this, and the submarine rolled over 63 degrees and threw him off the deck. Oh my and goodness. at that time, this was the first time anyone had survived a magnitude roll of 63 degrees. Now, wow. that was fortunate for me because I was born four years later. Right. <laughs> but thankfully, they fished my dad out of the water. Uh, he completed his submarine service, and he became the engineering uh, executive for President Truman's yacht, mm-hmm. the Williamsburg. So he served there for a while. Well, my dad was from Missouri as was President Truman, and they really hit it off. So President Truman invited my father to become the administrator of what then was called Camp Shangri-La. Now everybody knows it as Camp David, but my father served as the administrator. And then President Eisenhower comes in, uh, and the first thing he says is, I can't have the American people seeing their president going to Shangri-La. So that's (laughs) when he renamed it Camp David after his grandson. So my father, uh, when President Eisenhower came, uh, became president, took over, my dad then uh, went to Langley and served the CIA, at the CIA for 24 years, mm-hmm. most notably as the Russian Navy analyst. Mm-hmm. So we always lived in Northern Virginia. So when I graduated from Fairfax High School, I ended up going to college in Indiana, about 40 miles outside of Indianapolis at DePauw University. Mm-hmm. and I came home four years later and I wanted to go into broadcasting. So my first job was at a little radio station in Manassas, Virginia, uh, with the call letters WPRW, which I interpreted to mean, why pay roads to work? Uh, (laughs) Okay. Didn't make a whole lot of money. But while I was there, uh, I met a gentleman who worked for an ad agency and we uh, became good friends and Mm -hmm. he invited me to leave my job at WPRW and come to work for Needham Harper and Steers Advertising, which at the time uh, had the McDonald's account. They had it both nationally and in the D.C. area. And D.C. was McDonald's most important market because that's where all the, you know, it was primarily company owned stores. Mm -hmm. And so we we managed that account and I got to do that for five years. I uh, decided I wanted to do something else with my life. Mm -hmm. So uh, a year or two later, I happened to pick up a copy of Fortune magazine. I believe it was the December 1979 edition. And on the cover, there were six corporate logos, one of which was McDonald's. Mm -hmm. So I decided to open it up and read about my friends at McDonald's, see what it said. And as I'm turning the pages, I run across an article Turns out it's a profile of a gentleman in New York named Harry Walker, and he has a speaker's bureau. Well, I don't have any idea what a speaker's bureau is. So I read the story, and it was fascinating. But in in the article, there's a section where the writer asks Harry Walker about competition, and he says, I don't have any competitors. And that got my attention. So I went down, I went, I took the article. I went downtown into D.C. to see my very good friend, Bernie Swain, 
who at that time was the assistant athletic director at George Washington University. And I showed him the article and he says, well, this is interesting. Why are shown it to me? And I said to him, look, we're good friends. Why don't we go out? Let's, let's start our own business. Let's start a speaker's bureau. Right. And that's what we did. So we both quit what we were doing and we started the company in 1980 and still at it here 40 years later. It's been an amazing experience for sure. And I think what's really cool about kind of the story about how your dad was was thrown overboard in that situation and, and your story about pursuing the Speakers Bureau, that probably taught you a lot of adversity kind of hearing your dad's story about, you know, when that, that's got to be a traumatic, traumatic experience. And, you know, he made it through that. So I bet that kind of built a lot of your character throughout your life of knowing, well, my dad made it through that. Then what's going to stop me? from creating the Speakers Bureau. You're right. Now, you know, what my dad went through was just, it was an extraordinary story. Right. And he's a very quiet guy, never talked about it. But it was very inspiring to me. I was fortunate to have a great partner. My partner was a very determined guy. Uh, both he and his wife were terrific. We worked well together in uh, putting the business together. And uh, it really, we built, I think, a pretty good foundation that has served us well, even, you know, 40 years later, we're still going strong. So knowing a little bit about your personal life and now a little bit about your professional life and what you're currently doing, how was it that you and General Franks got connected? Do you have a good story? I I will tell you that General Franks, uh, well, let's go back to how we do our business. People just don't pick up the phone and call us. Right. We are very aggressive, as are all talent firms. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not the only speakers bureau in the country. There are many speakers bureaus. And so what you do is, you know, we all serve at the pleasure of our customers. Right. You know, we could go out and say, this person looks interesting. Let's sign them up. But if nobody's going to book them for their meetings, we've wasted everybody's time. Right. And so when, you know, at the end of the second Gulf War, we knew that there is going to be a good audience for General Franks. Right. And so once he, you know, once the war was over and things were winding down, we reached out uh, to people that we felt might be able to connect us to him. And we heard from an attorney who got us together. So I went to New York and mm-hmm. sat down with General Franks in New York. And as they say, made our pitch. I think he had talked to other organizations as well. And ultimately, uh, and lucky for us, he selected us to represent him for his speeches. So what followed after that, he would he would go out and he'd speak to business groups all over the country because they wanted to hear his story. Now, at the end of the day, the thing, the reason I've always been attracted to military leaders is because of leadership. You right. know, the whole purpose of the speaking business is to help people. You know, right. every single speaker I've ever sat down with, that's the very first thing I tell them. I said, when, you know, you've been invited to come speak to this group, they want to learn from you. They don't want you to tell them, you know, if you're speaking to the widget manufacturers, they don't want you to tell them how they can do a better job, you know, selling these widgets or making the widgets and then selling. Right. But they want to learn from your experiences. They want to know what have you been through? What, what are some tough times you've experienced? How did you get through it? So to me, as a business uh, leader, the thing that I always want to learn from others is really something I think is important for every single person. 
that's in business, and that is decision-making. How do you make your decisions? Okay. What is your process? You can take every business leader for the last hundred years, every military figure. At the end of the day, the essence of what they do, they have to make decisions every single day. Absolutely. Now, now I've been blessed to work with a lot of former military uh, senior leaders, as well as the civilian military leaders, Chuck Hagel, for example, uh, Bob Gates, Leon Panetta, Ash Carter. But I want to learn from them because think about this. You know, if if you're talking about the, the corporate world, mm-hmm. you got to make tough decisions every day. Absolutely. But if, but if you're on the military side, think about this. Almost every big decision you have to make is a matter of life and death. Absolutely. That is that's tough. OK. And so. That's why military, you know, former military leaders, I feel, are great public speakers. They bring a lot to the table. Absolutely. And I really like how you've already touched on so many of General Franks's core principles of, you know, in the way that you were talking about it. When you approach people, you understand that it's all about helping others in that situation because someone's story always has something to offer. So being able to identify the fact that you are not in it to get the paycheck that comes along with it. You are in it to provide that experience for others so it might help them. And that coincides so closely with caring. Um, General Franks's number one core principle and being able to care about those around you, those you're affecting. And like you said, being able to have the maturity, which takes a lot of practice and, and a lot of planning and a lot of repetition to be able to identify a well-oiled machine of decision-making within your organization comes with experience. Exactly. So I'm going to tell you, of the four core principles, caring is the one I care about most. Right. So I'm going to, I'll share a story with you. Now, if you go into any talent firm anywhere in the country, when you walk in, what's the first thing you're going to see? You're going to see pictures of all of their prominent figures. I mean, that's mm. just a natural, Okay. Right. But in the history of Washington Speakers Bureau, if you come into my office, there's only one picture of a speaker I've ever put up. Yes, sir. And we've had the great fortune to represent former presidents, prime ministers, Mm -hmm. uh, corporate executives. But the only picture I've ever put up on my wall is of Lou Holtz, the -hmm. football coach. Right. Because Lou Holtz taught me that when you meet somebody, there are three things they want to know about you. Number one, do you care about me? Number two, can I trust you? Number three, are you committed to excellence? Every single day when I'm sitting in my desk and I look up, I mean, I look at this picture a hundred times a day. Right. It reminds me of those three core principles. And so that's what drives me every day when I meet somebody. Okay. I want to show them I care about them. Now, I haven't told you this, but I'm a four-time cancer survivor, okay? Man, right. And so, and so I got all my treatments at Duke University, at mm-hmm. their cancer institute. And I will sh- share this story. I had a doctor, Dr. Joe Moore, who, you know, came in and I was diagnosed. I was, I was in pretty bad place. Mm. And so here's what I've learned through that experience, that as a patient, there are three things you want to know about your doctor. Do you right. care about me? Can right. I trust you? Are you right. committed to being the best doctor you can be? And how fortunate for me 
that I had a doctor who would sit on my bed every morning and he'd look at me and he'd say, Harry, I love you. We're going to beat this. Don't you worry. Okay. That is more powerful than any medicine that's ever been created. But it all starts with caring. Okay. And so every doctor I've ever had now, it's the first thing I want to know. Do you care about me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because that is going to inspire me to do better. Well, the same thing holds true in the military. Same thing holds true in the corporate world. As a leader, can you show somebody you care about them? How do you do that? How do you do it in a genuine way that is going to get the best out of that person? Now, another speaker that I represented for many years, his name was Alex Haley. Mm-hmm. He wrote the best-selling book, Roots. And Alex Haley had a motto that I just, to this day, I talk about every day. And that motto was, find the good and praise it. And so it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are in any organization. Find a way every day to try to impact someone else's life. I don't care if you go to a restaurant and the gentleman or waitress that's pouring your water. Talk to him. Ask him. How's your day going? What's your name? Where are you from? Okay. I promise you that little 30 second interplay, they'll remember that. But anyway, of the four, caring is my favorite. Absolutely. And and what I really like about, do you care about me? Can I trust you? And are you committed to excellence? It takes all three to create a genuine relationship because when you are able to show someone you care, that immediately generates trust. And when someone knows that you care about them and they trust you, they know followed behind that is that work ethic that is needed to show that you are committed to excellence and, and carry out those actions. So, man, that is that is so good. I read an article just the other day that kind of talked about you on average, whether it be like you said, a 30 second interaction with a waitress or anything on average a year, you impact to a significant level at least 10,000 people a year. And I don't think there's a lot of people that believe that they do that, but they do. So Colin Powell has a name for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Colin Powell always inspires people. Colin Powell is just one of the best speakers ever. Right. And he gets up there and he says, be a force multiplier. Ooh, that's good. Okay. What a great word, right? I think about that word every day when I'm talking to speakers. I said, you know, think about this. You're going to get up and speak in front of a thousand people. Right. Well, if you do a good job, if you inspire these people, they're going to go back to the hometown. If it's a trade association, they're going to go back to their hometown and they're going to talk to the people they work with. They're going to talk to their family. They're going to talk to their friends and they're going to be so moved. They're going to tell their friends. Okay. Absolutely. About whatever it is that you talked about. And so be a force multiplier every day. Man, that is so good. So what is it about the speaking business that attracted you to it and continues to hold your passion for these past 40 years? Well, again, it all goes back to helping people. Um, I have found that from our customers, they want people of consequence. They want people who can who have made a difference right? because they're trying to inspire their people to, to reach another height. I mean, you, you've heard this in business. You could have just had the most successful year ever, but on January 1st, it's like, well, what are we going to do to do better this year? And 
you know, for some workers, it's like, oh, we just had a great year. Can I take time off? No, you can't. Right. You know, you got to keep doing it better and better. And so that's why organizations will bring in outside speakers that are generally people that have accomplished great things in their life. So the thing that, that just drives me every single day is wanting to make a difference in the lives of the audience members, okay? Uh, that we send our speakers out and, and we just say, look, if you just want to go to an event and just show up, you're not for us. We want people who want to make a difference. We want people who like people. We want people that are going to get out there and really inspire people. Uh, and so that's what drives me. That's why I'm still doing it 40 years later. The fact that you work for a speakers bureau, and of course, communication is is the essence of, of what you do and what you foster, but your number one priority is caring. And I think that says a lot about your character, that you understand that regardless of what we are trying to accomplish, if I'm not making genuine connections with those I am working with, then what is it all for? Being able to listen. And I, and I think that's the one thing that this episode exemplifies very well is communication. Everyone always thinks, well, when is it my turn to talk? But not, what am I listening for? So many times in today's world, we find ourselves within conversations that you are listening to respond and not listening to hear what it is that this story might have to offer you. At what point did you kind of realize, man, caring about others and, and listening for, for what I need to hear compared to listening to respond, how has that impacted your life? Well, at the end of the day, everybody you know has a basic need to be listened to. Absolutely. How, how frustrating is life and especially business when you feel you're not being listened to, right. that your, your boss just kind of blows right over whatever it is you talk to him about. Right. And so we go to great lengths to make sure our speakers understand the objective for each and every speech. The worst thing that can happen is when a customer would call me and say, wow, that speaker missed the mark completely. They didn't understand what we were looking for. And that is just, that's a fate worse than death. I just, right. I'd hate that. And so that drove me to make sure, you know, we always make sure our, our speakers know this is what they want you to do. Now, the time to do that is not a week before the event. The time to do it is at the time of the booking, if you will, right? because we want to make sure people understand right then and there. Here's what they want. Do you accept the invitation on their terms or not? And if you don't want to do it, it's perfectly fine. But the thing I try to provide my customers are no surprises. So in other words, I don't want a speaker showing up on game day and saying, well, hey, what do you want me to talk about today? Mm -hmm. No, no. If we've done our job right, they are fully briefed. They are right. ready to go. Okay. But again, we want the audience to learn. We want them to feel like that speaker cares about them, mm -hmm. that the speaker knows who they're speaking to, why they're there. And hopefully, if you can entertain them along the way, that's a good thing, too. I had a speaker, one of my favorite people, Jim Balbano, the famous basketball coach at NC State. And 
he always shared with me. He said, Harry, every day there are three things I want to do. I want to think, I want to laugh, and I want to cry. He says, if you do those three things, you're going to have a full day. Absolutely. And now for a quick word from our sponsors. Hello, this is Jay Zacharias with the General Tommy Franks Leadership Institute and Museum, and I would like to tell you about one of our partner sponsors. His name is Justin Krieger, and he has worked as an independent insurance agent at Krieger Insurance Agency in his hometown of Hobart, Oklahoma since 1999. Justin is honored to help with the annual Celebration of Freedom event and has been a board member for the General Tommy Franks Leadership Institute and Museum for many years. He is also a fifth-generation farmer and rancher in Kiowa County, where cattle, crops, and even insurance is sold with a handshake. Give him a call at 580-726-3076 or come by the office if you would like to speak with Justin Krieger or Kathy Lankford about insurance. We are thankful to our customers and friends who have supported us through the years. Again, Justin would like to say how honored he is to live in such a great country and how proud he is to help sponsor these podcasts. Please enjoy the rest of this podcast experience from your friends at Krieger Insurance Agency. And now back to the episode. You know, one of the questions that our alumni had for you, um, being that you've you've been with the Speakers Bureau and, and helped coordinate that for 40 years, were you yourself always a uh, eloquent speaker? Did, did, did speaking in front of people come easy to you? And if it was or if it wasn't, what tips do you have for our alumni and students that might not be fully comfortable, that want to get to a place where they are comfortable? What are some baby steps they can take? I'm not really a speaker. Uh, I've been invited on occasion because of my cancer experiences to go out and speak, but I, I do have to share a funny story. One of my speakers is a gentleman named David Gergen, mm-hmm. uh, who was a political commentator for over 30 years. And David, for the last 10, 12 years, has been at Harvard. And so I happened to go up to Boston a few years ago to visit with another one of our speakers. And I got done early, so I went over to visit with David Gergen over mm-hmm. at Harvard. And I'd never been to Harvard before. And so I was talking with him in his office, and he says, hey, I've got a one o'clock class. Would you like to come over and watch the class? And I said, sure. Never been to a class at Harvard. I'd love to. So we go over, and there's about 125 students, and they're all seated stadium style. So you're, you're walking into this arena almost. And we walked in and David uh, welcomes the class. It's a Monday. He says, I hope you had a good weekend. And he says, and by the way, this gentleman here, is, he's a great friend of mine. His name is Harry Rhodes. And he and his partner run, you know, the largest, most prestigious speaking agency uh, in the country. Please say hello to my friend, Harry. And so they started clapping. And so I just went along with it and I nodded. So now I I turn to the left and David is sitting down and I'm thinking, well, where am I going to sit? And I'm looking at him and he's looking right back at me. And this goes on for about 30 seconds. It seemed like far longer. And all of a sudden it became apparent. He wanted me to speak to the class. Right. Now, mind you, I had no notes. I was not prepared. So I just turned. I made some joke and I started in on it. And so I'd look to David every five or 10 minutes and he'd just wave at me like, keep going. I spoke for 90 minutes. Wow. And so, so that started a steady stream of invitations. So for the next five years, I was invited back to speak to his class. My point is this. 
in that class, I always took questions. And what you just asked me, you know, what can you share with our listeners? Here's what I'm going to say. And this is the most important thing that I could ever share as a speaker. If you have to get up and talk about a book report or what have you, that's kind of tough stuff. But the best speeches are put in the form of a story, just like today. If you'd asked me to speak for 40 minutes on the creation of Washington Speakers Bureau, Mm -hmm. no problem. I mean, I just, I know it. I lived it. So I can tell a story. I can get up and start talking. Right. And so for your, for your listeners, I would say the same thing. Anytime you're invited to speak, whatever it is you've got to talk about, put it in the form of a story because you know the story. And if you do that, honestly, people are going to listen to you even more than if you told it any other way. And so whenever I'm done, I get these notes from, you know, the students saying, oh, my gosh, I can't tell you what great advice that was. And that's what I've been doing. Um, As we talked earlier, I feel the greatest speakers are storytellers. Lou Holtz. Oh, my gosh. I could listen to him. I could listen to Cole. And pal, all day long. They are amazing storytellers. And so, as a speaker, just tell a story. You're going to find you're going to get through it. The intensity level, the, the fear, you know, the number one fear that people have is that of public speaking. But if you put it in the form of a personal story, it's a piece of cake. Man, so put it into a story. Most people look for, well, you're going to stand firm and not move your hands. And man, that's just so simple. Make it into a story because if you know the story, then you know what you're not going to get it wrong. You, you know the story. You were there. You lived it. You've researched it. That's great. I understand you had a fun dinner with General Norman Schwarzkopf one night after the war ended. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, I do. I've, it's a fun story about General Schwarzkopf. At the end of the first Gulf War, uh, there was a parade on a Saturday morning right down Pennsylvania Avenue, right in front of the White House. President Bush was uh, there to, to greet uh, Norman Schwarzkopf and General Powell as they led the troops down. I happened to be playing golf that day in Arlington, and I looked up and I saw one of every aircraft that had been used during the Gulf War. That's the first time I saw a stealth bomber flying right overhead. So on Monday night, my partner and I had a reception honoring General Schwarzkopf because by that time he had signed with our company. And so we wanted to have a reception to introduce him to a couple hundred of our customers. So we went over to the JW Marriott Hotel and we got a ballroom and we got some blue background drapes and an American flag. And we had General Schwarzkopf uh, come up and he met everybody and we just had a wonderful evening. So when it was over, my wife and I, my partner and his wife, took General Schwartz. We walked across 14th Street there in the district, and we went to the Occidental Restaurant. Now, we knew they had a private dining room, and we made plans to go over there. So it was just the five of us sitting around a table. And you could tell General Schwarzkopf was enormously relieved that the war was over. And we had the best time, the five of us just talking and eating and having a a glass or two of red wine. We're just having a wonderful evening. And so now the waiter clears us off the table. And uh, so now I'm looking at General Schwarzkopf and, you know, he, he was wondering, I could just tell, where's dessert? And so almost on cue, the door flies open and out comes the pastry chef. 
Now the pastry chef is holding this big silver tray. And on the tray, I thought would be like five pieces of apple pie. I'm not very creative when it comes to desserts. <laughs> now this waiter was six foot six and he had this pastry chef hat on and went another foot in the air. This guy was like eight feet tall. So he comes out and so he's holding the tray at such a level, we couldn't see what was on the tray. So now he gets over right in front of General Schwarzkopf and he puts this tray right in front of him. And I looked at General Schwarzkopf and his eyes were like big as saucers because right in front of him were 20 pieces of pastry and they were all covered with confectionery sugar and drizzle. Oh, and man. the pastry chef looks at General Schwarzkopf. He says, my general, he says, I create this especially for you. I call this dessert storm. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> and Jace, you know, if before we go, if it's okay, I, I've got a great story about General Franks. Please, I'd love like to. End, to let's go ahead and end on that one. That'll be a great conclusion. So... When we first started speaking, one of the first speeches he gave was out in Las Vegas to one of our customers. And so when the speech was over, it's about five o'clock. And he says to me, what are you doing tonight? I said, well, I'm taking the red eye back to Washington. He says, well, why don't you join me for dinner? I have a friend of mine out here that I'd like for you to meet. And I said, well, great. That's fine. Well, we get up and we walk outside and there was his friend. And I just, I was speechless because the person we were going to have dinner with was none other than the entertainer, Wayne Newton. And it turns out that Wayne Newton and General Franks had become good friends when Wayne Newton had come to Korea, when General Franks was in charge of the troops in Korea, Wayne Newton was on the USO tour mm -hmm. and they just became really good friends. Right. And so this dinner had been set up and now they invited me to go. And I'm thinking, well, how, how special is this? Right. So we go to dinner. It was more fun. I mean, we just had the best time. So now uh, Wayne Newton looks at his watch. He says, got to go. See you guys later. And he gets up and leaves. So Wayne Newton left. And I figured, well, that's the end of the dinner. But General Frank says, come on, we're all going over to the hotel where Wayne performs. We're going to be his special guest tonight. Oh wow! And I'm thinking, wow, this is kind of neat. Right. So. We finish, we get in our vehicle, we drive over to the hotel where Wayne is performing, and we're led downstairs to Wayne has a private uh, suite downstairs where he prepares every night before mm -hmm. he goes on stage. We're, we're backstage. And so now Wayne comes out of the, his dressing area and he's got a tuxedo on and, you know, he's ready to rock. Mm -hmm. So there's a knock at the door. The stage manager yells out, 10 minutes, Mr. Newton. So we all jump up. And General Franks and Kathy and uh, Wayne Newton's wife, Kat, and I are led out. And we now are led into the ballroom and we go sit down in our seats, which are it's this sort of clam shell backed circular or half circle table where we'd sit and enjoy the show. And it's all very exciting. There's, I don't know, a thousand people in the audience. They're all excited to see Wayne Newton. And so the uh, uh, now all of a sudden the lights go down, music starts, curtain rises. There he is, the man, the myth, the legend, Wayne Newton. Right. And he just starts singing and the crowd is going crazy. And so he finishes his song and he says, ladies and gentlemen, boy, boy, am I glad to have you here tonight. So good to see everybody. He says, before we get started, though, I've got somebody really special I want you to meet. 
you're going to really like this person. He's a great friend of mine, a real American hero. So now, hey, I'm from Washington, D.C. I'm a smart guy. Now, General Franks is a big man, six mm -hmm. foot four. He's just, he, you know, he takes up a lot of room. Right. So I moved down where we're sitting to give him room to stand up and acknowledge what Wayne Newton's about to do. So I just kind of moved to the end of the chair. And Wayne Newton says, so ladies and Charlie, he says, hey, get that spotlight. You got it? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. Please welcome my great friend, Harry Rhodes. Man. And I looked at General, I was like stunned. And I looked at General Franks, who had this big, sly smile on his face. And he goes, <laughs> gotcha. I never forgave him. <laughs> Man, that's that's a great story. And, you know, to have that camaraderie and, and such a friendship with General Franks is an absolute blessing. And, you know, I, I think the things that you've kind of told us in your stories today of care about those around you, build trust and show them that you're committed to excellence and, and you will have a great team, a great form of communication and great success and leadership. And I challenge everybody to find the good and praise it as Harry talked about and to be a force multiplier in everything you do and to listen to listen instead of listening to respond. Harry, it has been an absolute pleasure. You are a man of humility and, and, and just have amazing character. And we are blessed to have you on the show. If people want to find out more about your Speakers Bureau, where can they go for that? They can simply go online to uh, wsb.com or Washington Speakers Bureau. Okay. That sounds great. Harry Rhodes, ladies and gentlemen, a man of true humility and character. Uh, we appreciate your time and uh, we will talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you, Jace. Enjoyed it. Thank you again to REI Oklahoma for making this podcast possible. For nearly 40 years, the board, staff, patrons, and supporters of the nonprofit economic development REI Oklahoma are committed to expanding Oklahoma's economic prosperity, earning the reputation of being one of the most comprehensive economic development organizations in the country. Business loans, training workshops, business consulting, and networking opportunities, as well as technical assistance and even commercial business space are made available to Oklahoma entrepreneurs and small businesses. For low and moderate income individuals and families, down payment and or closing cost assistance is offered. Learn more at reiok.org. This has been the Four Star Leadership Podcast. Now it's your turn, Four Star listeners. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and let us know what you thought of this episode. Be sure to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and tune in next month for our next episode that airs every last Friday each month. Go be great.